Hello, and uh, good afternoon. I'm constitutional attorney, Catherine Henry. Welcome to this week's episode of Restore Freedom Weekly. <laughs> uh, if you tuned in last week, you know that starting last week and um, every week between then and June 15th, I will be discussing an element of they're probably all related to due process um, in one way or another, but I will be discussing things that specifically pertain to, um, well, your right to defend yourself against uh, government intrusion, against tyranny, against, um, you know, whether it's something specific to COVID regulations or whether it's something um, you know, unrelated and it's a, a criminal matter, or perhaps it's a, a civil matter where your rights are being oppressed. I have countless thousands of people that have reached out to me throughout the years, but as you can imagine, that number increased exponentially starting in April of 2020 as I started to make uh, posts on social media letting people know about the law. Certainly by May of 2020, when I started to uh, venture into doing lives for the first time on social media um, or in any capacity, uh, I started to get more and more and more questions. And yes, a lot of them were about the current government overreach. But let's face it, we're all human and we all have a lot of things going on in our lives that, you know, sometimes just doesn't seem right and we don't know who to turn to. Um, wow, my background's not really working out for me today. So hopefully most of you that are watching are watching from your phones and it's so tiny that you can't tell that my digital background looks a little funky today. Um, hi, Kim on Facebook. Thanks for reaching out. So in case you just happen to, uh, catch this live as you're cruising on by, or, uh, you just tune in every, um, sorry, I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> You tune in every Tuesday at noon to see what we're going to talk about, and you're not quite sure what today's discussion is specifically about. We're going to cover motions to dismiss. Well, what are they? I mean, in general, okay, it's a motion to dismiss. You can recognize that by the plain language that, that describes it. But can you use these in criminal cases or civil cases? What law allows you to file a motion to dismiss? What do they look like? Uh, what are some of the reasons that you can get a file uh, dismissed? And uh, hi, Dale on Facebook, and thank you for sharing our video today. So as I mentioned in the description, whether you have a case currently pending or not, whether you have an attorney representing you or not, whether you have any prior legal knowledge or not. Let's be frank. Whether you are yourself a licensed attorney or not, this is an episode that's going to help you better understand motions to dismiss. Now, and was it just for fun that I became, uh, I'll say, a self-proclaimed expert on motions to dismiss? Absolutely not, in no way, shape, or form. It was, uh, well, I've, I've had obviously cases where I've had to file them. And if you've ever gone to law school or, or have been close to someone who went to law school, uh, you probably <clears throat> uh, encountered so, you know, groups of um, drunk law school students talking about uh, you know, a, a B12 or, you know, all these other, you know, letters and numbers. And typically speaking, the when you're studying in law school, generally you're studying the federal rules of civil procedure. And so you have um, motions for summary disposition and all this other kind of fun stuff that sounds like what? Um, at any rate, even though we study it in law school, even though I myself um, had very good grades in law school and uh, didn't flunk any of my classes. <laughs> um, and I've represented thousands of clients throughout the years. And I've worked in the legal profession for over 22 years now. I still would say that if you would have asked me about motions to dismiss before November of 2020, 
I would not have had the level of knowledge about them that I do now. I would have been hesitant to really provide too much information to you because quite frankly, I would have been afraid that I didn't know enough. So if you are an attorney and you just happen to catch this, I encourage you to listen to grow your own knowledge. And if you're not an attorney, certainly there's a lot that you can gain from this. There's no shame in not knowing all the specifics here. Now with that anti-shaming all being said, I want to go ahead and get started because there's a lot to cover and I'm thinking there might be more questions today than there have been in other um, videos. So, well, what is a motion to dismiss? Well, by definition, uh, typically if you have a party that has filed a case against someone, then it is the person against whom the case was filed. They're filing a motion with the court, asking the court to throw out the case. Sometimes part of the case, if there's multiple claims, but we won't go there. Uh, we'll just pretend it's one whole case. So, um, can you use these in civil cases or criminal cases? What kinds of cases can you use a motion to dismiss? Now, each state has their own set of court rules and the federal courts have their own sets of court rules. For example, the bankruptcy court where I'm admitted to practice in Eastern and Western uh, District of Michigan, they, um, they have their own bankruptcy rules. The United States Supreme Court, where I'm also admitted to practice, has its own set of court rules. Uh, these are all in addition to laws and case precedent and internal operating procedures. What am I saying all here? Is there too much to keep up with? Hell yes. There's absolutely way too much to keep up with. And there should not be this many things for an attorney, let alone a lay person, to have to um, know even exists, let alone understand the details of each and every one of these things in order to simply represent a client or like I said in the latter example, to represent themselves. But nonetheless, these court rules do exist. So for right now, until we can fix the uh, system as it is with all these quite frankly, unconstitutional levels of regulating and limiting, regulating the people and limiting their access to courts. Um, we're going to talk about what exists right now, and I'm going to focus on Michigan court rules because, like I said, all courts are different. I've been, you know, my first state that I was admitted to practice in uh, was Minnesota. Um, most of you now know I now live in Florida, and with the tumultuous incidents we were having with um, some sellers of our uh, house um, that we were trying to purchase initially down here. We ended up ourselves in court. In fact, I ended up filing an emergency appeal to the Fifth District Court of Appeals in the state of Florida. So I had to study not only all of Michigan's statutes and court rules, but also the appellate rules in a very short amount of time. So with that being said, it's still, even though there's a lot of different rules I could be talking about, it's going to make it easier, even if you're one that lives in Florida or Minnesota or, you know, one of those other jurisdictions that I could speak on. It's going to be easier and simpler to follow this along from the Michigan court rules perspective. You'll find that most states will have very similar procedures. And in fact, the Michigan court rules, by and large, um, are very similar to the um, uh federal court rules. So um, at any rate, uh, I'd say the one state that's a whole nother world is going to be Louisiana. So if you live there, I'm sorry, it's like a whole nother world. So although I have been down there working in the court system in Louisiana as well, that was 15 years ago. But at any rate, so um, can you use these in civil or criminal cases? Well, that's actually, ironically, uh, the substance and subject of some pleadings, some filings and whatnot that I have filed in my Allegan County Election Day case. So, for example, 
Uh, I initially, when the case was brought against me in November 2020, I had to wait patiently for the deputy to submit the charges or the ticket to the court to begin with. Why? Well, because he was actually fraudulently and, and feloniously uh, altering the ticket, carbon copy ticket, after serving me before filing it with the court. But that's another story. So before he even decided to file it, which was almost 10 days after, after the um, election day, I ended up calling the court on the ninth day and um, telling them, you know, I wanted to get a motion to dismiss. Of course, they can't file a motion to dismiss in any case if your case hasn't been filed yet. <laughs> so um, the remember court staff and there's signs probably in every single state that say this court staff, they're not attorneys and they cannot provide legal advice. Does that mean court staff at times will argue with you nonstop and um, insist that they know the law or the court rules better than you? Yes, that has happened. Um, I'm not even sure if that's happened to me directly, but I've definitely seen that happen to other attorneys and to other individuals. But keep in mind, they can't. They cannot provide you legal advice. So um, in this case, I was wanting to file this motion to dismiss. And in general, you've probably heard, I mean, let's think about it. You've seen Law and Order. You've uh, probably heard of, you know, some Judge Judy episodes as well, but Law and Order would speak to the criminal side of cases and how they work, right? Even though uh, that's in New York. Um, there's tons of other cases and movies or, or, or TV shows and movies and uh, other mainstream media types of situations. I mean, think about when I was a kid, the O.J. Simpson case, that criminal trial uh, made it all over the news um, and, you know, was on everyone's television for months. And that was long before social media came to be. So um, we all, uh, if you're roughly my age or younger, you've grown up knowing about criminal trials and, um, you know, hearing of terms like, you know, maybe a motion to dismiss or um, that somebody got off on a technicality. That's a term that is often um, talked about, right? Well, what happens if you're getting off on a technicality is typically uh, it's because the defense attorney has filed a motion to dismiss and there is um, a statute or a part of the Constitution or a court rule that requires that the judge throw out the case. So, for example, if um, it's a criminal case and a huge piece of the case hinges on um, the ID of a witness, but the witness uh, was you know, presented a lineup to choose from and uh, the defendant um, let's just make this easy. The defendant was um, the only person uh, with <clears throat> Asian skin tones, right? And all of the other uh, people in the lineup were uh, white. In fact, most of them were women, whereas this um, defendant is um, uh, a man and uh, he's Asian. Well, clearly that would not be a fair lineup because if anybody even remotely remembered that, oh, yeah, it was a man, they're going to choose the defendant. Or if all they remembered was that it was someone of Asian descent, well, that's the person they're going to choose, right? So a lineup has to be of people that generally are uh, appearing the same so that we're actually picking the correct person in a lineup. Anyway, so uh, that would be an example. Um, but what we often don't realize is that there is a distinction, uh, in the different kinds of cases. So for example, in my case, I was initially given a citation for a civil infraction of trespass, which does not exist. That's a whole other story. A civil infraction is something where you can receive a fine, but no jail time. Your liberty interests, at least directly, cannot be impacted with a civil infraction. It's like a, a moving violation, uh, a parking ticket, that kind of thing, okay? Then the next level up would be misdemeanors. Those are crimes. 
And those are things that would go truly on a criminal record. Uh, crimes, uh, misdemeanors are typically where you not only have the possibility of getting um, uh, uh, fines and costs assessed against you, but also you could be facing jail time. Roughly, you know, 60 to 90 days is the typical misdemeanor type of um, offense. Uh, in Michigan, there's this weird thing called high court misdemeanors or whatnot, um, and you could end up receiving um, a year in jail. Anyway, okay, so... Um, Felonies. Felonies are the next step up. And felonies are where you have bigger dollar amounts of fines that would be due, but more significantly where you would have uh, significant um, jail time, or actually at that point it would be prison time. And it would be um, if you're going to be incarcerated for more than a year. That's in Michigan, and it's generally the same in other places. But again, I'm speaking to the specifics of Michigan. So those are the main kinds of cases. Now, a civil infraction is actually, a, as it says, it's a civil case. It has a little bit of nuances, just like family law, divorces, custody cases. Those are typical, you know, those are technically civil cases, but they have a little bit of a nuance. They have their own kind of set of court rules and procedures because a divorce case is obviously much different in nature uh, than a contracts case, right? So um, a civil infraction is a civil case, but with some additional uh, criminal-like uh, rights added into it. Misdemeanor cases. Well, that's full out a criminal case, right? Here's the weird part, at least in Michigan. Uh, let me get the court rule for you here. Actually, I have it open right to this page. All right. Um, if you if you want to follow along with me, chapter six, and this is the uh, Michigan rules of court. Whoops, which way am I going here? There we go. And my background's not letting me show you. But anyway, Michigan rules of court. Uh, if you look at the, if it's the full book, you'll see on the back, if it lets me show you. Nope. Okay, I got my hand there. It has all these different, um, uh, yeah, there we go. All these different bullet points. These are all the different portions of rules, court rules that exist. So uh, general provisions, civil procedures, special proceedings, district court, probate court, criminal procedure, appellate rules, um, administrative rules of court, professional disciplinary proceedings. And then it goes into other things like the rules of evidence, and uh, local court rules, rules of professional conduct. We've talked about those before, uh, things like that, okay? That's all within the same book. If you're looking at a paper copy, um, I have shared these court rules in prior um, episodes as a Friday's Freedom Fighting tool. But um, at any rate, if you Googled uh, your state, you know, Michigan or whatever, Florida, uh, criminal court rules, it's going to pull up for you very easy. In Michigan, you have the option of viewing it as HTML, which is just easier for web browsing. But they also have a PDF version, which is darn near a thousand pages, uh, but it makes it easier for printing. I think that one's a thousand pages. Anyway, it's either that or the civil or criminal jury instructions. Either way, they're, they're, long, they're long documents. So, um, so if you are turning to chapter six of the uh, rules of criminal procedure in Michigan court rules, you can see that 6.001, the very first one, uh, letter D, civil rules applicable. The provisions of the rules of civil procedure apply to cases governed by this chapter, except, and then it lists four uh, very specific things. Um, the first one is otherwise provided specifically by a rule or a statute that says this rule does not apply. But if you look at that, the basic rule of thumb is that in felony, misdemeanor, and juvenile cases, which are the first three portions of that rule, um, uh, the fourth portion, D, says that civil rules, the civil rules of procedure, apply in all those other types of cases. So 
all rules of civil procedure apply in felonies, misdemeanors, and juvenile cases unless there's a specific reason why a particular rule wouldn't apply. Okay, now that we got that covered. Um, misdemeanor cases. Here's the weird thing. This is something you guys really need to pay attention to because by and large, more people are charged in every state. More people are charged with low-level crimes like misdemeanors than they are with felonies. And if you're facing a more low-level crime, you're often more tempted to represent yourself or to not worry about being too selective in the attorney that you're choosing. So, also a lot of public defender offices um, or public defender systems uh, have a different um, level of expertise required for attorneys that would be representing clients in felonies versus those representing clients in misdemeanors. All right, so here is something to listen to, right? Misdemeanor cases, and I'll guarantee you most attorneys don't really realize this. The court rule 6.001B says that misdemeanor in misdemeanor cases, um, the, um, the court rules do not apply unless it's listed here. So there's a long list of court rules that do apply, including the one that's giving this rule. Um, but anyway, it's got this list of which of the criminal court rules apply. So we already know civil court rules all apply unless something, you know, an exception exists. But criminal rules of procedure, the court rules, do not apply to misdemeanors unless this particular court rule says it does. Now, why is that important? Why am I trying to put you to sleep with um, nuances like that? Because a lot of the very rules, like if you if you look up motion to dismiss or the word dismiss, I could be mincing my words a little bit here, but I want to say the word dismiss um, or motion to dismiss only appears in the um, criminal court rules twice. Or no, excuse me, nine times, nine times. But it's um, this court rule that says which criminal rules apply in misdemeanors specifically excludes most of them. Okay. What is left? Well, technically speaking, you have, you can file your motion to dismiss if you have a speedy trial violation, right? We all should know that the U.S. and Michigan constitutions and state law and court rules require uh, a defendant to be given the right to a speedy trial. So your speedy trial right, you could file a motion if you don't have a speedy trial. Yes, I'm doing that in my case. Um, but as far as the other rules, there's really not a whole heck of a lot. There's nothing that specifically says, hey, if the procedures used here are flat out wrong, a misdemeanor defendant can file this kind of motion. Or if the law is basically non-existent, if the charge literally doesn't even exist, then a misdemeanor defendant can file this kind of motion to dismiss. So for example, in my case, I'm my initial charge, of course, now there's two, but at any rate, um, my initial charge was trespassing. Where was I? I was on government property open to the general public during business hours. So I was charged with criminal trespassing on public property open to the general public during business hours, which does not exist. That is not a crime. The U.S. and Michigan Supreme Courts have acknowledged this for decades. It's an equal protection thing. How can you be guaranteed equal protection of the law if you have a government official that can, um, you know, like in the Brown v. Louisiana or in Cox v. Louisiana or in some of these other cases, how can you be guaranteed equal protection of the law if a government official, like a township clerk or whomever, is allowed to say, well, this is this property is government property. It's open to the general public, but you're not allowed here. Why? I just don't want you here. I think you're, you might cause a problem or you're just in the way of other residents. They can't do that. It's an equal protection thing. 
there's not even a legitimate reason for them to exclude certain individuals. So um, what mechanism would you have in that situation? None of these specific criminal rules um, that still apply in misdemeanor cases, none of those um, seem to address that. So what is your mechanism? Well, let me tell you what. If you end up watching the video from or reading the transcript from my February 4th, 2021 motion to dismiss hearing in Allegan County, you will see that in my case, the trial court judge said that I literally have absolutely no rights as a misdemeanor defendant to raise any legal issues prior to trial. None. I certainly don't have the right to file a motion to dismiss if the law says I shouldn't even be charged. That's what he said. Is that correct? Hell no, it's not correct. Absolutely not. The basic notions of due process, does that even seem right to you? If a judge were to tell you, well, you're a defendant in a misdemeanor case, you don't have the right to challenge this case, even though the law probably says you shouldn't have been charged. You don't have the right to bring that up. You can just have a jury decide it. Juries are not meant to decide law. They're not allowed to decide the law. Juries are there to decide facts. Did you, in fact, commit a certain act? So, in this kind of a situation, I do have the right to file a uh, <clears throat> a motion to dismiss. So what is the law or the rule or whatever that allows that? What could you use? Well, in a criminal case, oh, this one, I was going to do all these off the top of my head. I might be getting these wrong. But in a criminal case, I'm 95% certain that there is the um, uh, state law, MCL 764.9D, that allows you to file a motion to dismiss is kind of like a general thing. Um, don't forget, you also have that right to a speedy trial. Uh, so you could file a motion to a speedy trial uh, for a speedy trial um, or a denial of a speedy trial. So you want it, your case dismissed. And there's if you Googled Michigan state law or Michigan court rule on speedy trial, you should be able to find the court rule and the statute that talks about both of those. But also. The civil court rule that talks about a motion to dismiss in Michigan is M MCR, Michigan Court Rule 2.116. So 2.116, if you fast forward to part C, you could see that there's 10 different, yeah, 10 different um, reasons why you would be filing a motion to dismiss. I'm not going to put you to sleep with um, all of those. If you guys have been a little bit more lively in the comment section by now, I would have gone into more detail, but maybe it's the lunch, um, you know, you just, you're relaxing, you're, you know, eating some lunch and uh, getting tired and it's not going to go over well to go into that much legal detail. So that will be saved for another time. But one of the things you could do is challenge the case try to get the case dismissed because there's no subject matter jurisdiction. We've talked about that before, but what does that mean? It means the court doesn't have jurisdiction, not just over you, not just over this particular case, over any case with the same kind of circumstances. So for example, in my case, it's literally not a thing to be trespassing on government property open to the general public during business hours. It's literally not a thing. So the court never has jurisdiction to hear a case where the prosecution is bringing criminal trespass charges against someone for that. So you could file a motion to dismiss based on the challenge to subject matter jurisdiction. If you're following the court rules, that's 2.116 C4. But what about other cases where maybe similarly, you know, such as in this case, maybe uh, in this particular case, for example, with the added charge of disturbing the peace, they have, um, they added that one the night before the July 2021 trial date. But 
Anyway, they um, they added disturbing the peace, and it literally says, I'll read this to you guys. This is the offense that they claim. Disturbing the peace that I did make or excite a disturbance at an election place located at 4451 12th Street, contrary to MCL 750.170. That doesn't really give much for detail. Um, creating or making a disturbance, maybe, telling that it's at an election place. Okay, that gives me a little bit more to go on. But the, um, the prosecution has to prove that I intentionally engaged in conduct that qualifies as, uh, you know, something that would be disturbing the peace. They don't allege that at all. They also have to allege that I'm either threatening someone, uh, I am disturbing the actual peace and quiet of persons present, or I'm interfering with the ability of people to perform legal actions or duties. So for example, if I was um, like running in between the voters as they're trying to go and vote, I can't do that, right? That would be, um, that'd be another crime. But anyway, that would be disturbing the peace. Uh, if I was stopping the um, town township clerk that day from doing her work, if I had gone into the building and tried to interfere in some way, causing a scene where they couldn't do their work to serve the residents of Leighton Township, uh, that would be disturbing the peace. But I didn't do that. And it's not even alleged that I did that. So what's more interesting, okay, is that, um, and this is according to case precedent, uh, as well as the criminal jury instructions on disturbing the peace, this lays this out perfectly clear, that a defendant must have intentionally engaged in conduct, this is for disturbing the peace, a defendant must have intentionally engaged in conduct that went beyond stating his or her opinion or position or the mere expression of ideas. Well, the initial um, petition circulators that were there who called me to begin with, who were being threatened with arrest, they were expressing their ideas. They were sharing their thoughts with people who voluntarily came up to them. They were on the far edge of the parking lot, having signs to let people know they were there. And then they came and uh, if, if voters came to speak with them and sign the petition, then they would share what the petition was about and, um, you know, what their thoughts on it and whatever, right? They would share their, their opinion, uh, position, uh, and ideas. So when they called me and I was there as an attorney and I was telling the officers and the court clerk that they don't have the right to stop the um, petition circulators from being there. Now, keep in mind, I was repeatedly told I literally couldn't be there at all. And the petition circulators were told they couldn't even move their car to the privately owned land that was adjacent to the, to the grass that was behind where they were. They were told by the deputy they couldn't even move their car there because then voters would be walking across the parking lot from the township to go and sign the petition before they went back to get in their cars. So this was entirely your whole physical presence is not okay. Your message cannot be heard here. Well, I think we know enough about the First Amendment to know they can't do that. And that's why these cases and these criminal jury instructions say that there has to be some actual intentional disruption disruption of uh, peace and quiet of people utilizing that space, which didn't happen here, um, a physical threat, which didn't happen, wasn't even alleged, um, or an actual interference with someone doing their job, which also didn't happen here. So, um, and keeping in mind that you can't have a disturbing the peace charge. And I, I'm, I'm hammering on this one because I know there are a lot of you out there who have been charged with either trespassing or disturbing the peace 
because you simply have been present and not willing to or able to put on a face covering or have the jab or whatever, right? So I'm hammering on these points so that you can recognize this. And my, by the way, even though I'm talking about a Michigan rule, uh, a Michigan jury instruction right now, criminal jury instruction in a Michigan case, the Michigan cases are actually based on things that the federal court has done. So um, chances are you have the exact same kind of setup in your own state already because these aren't brand new things that have come out. So um, again, you can't have a disturbing the peace charge simply um, because you are stating an opinion uh, or position or you have a mere expression of ideas. So uh, with that being said, let me see, I'm probably way behind what I wanted to talk about today. Um, so what do those motions look like? I encourage you to go to my website. Unfortunately, uh, it's still not done yet. The new one is not done yet. Um, you are able to look at the, the website, which shows the... Um, uh, let's see. I'm going to, I'm going to share, I'm going to screen share and do this with you guys. Um, Mike, uh, while I'm looking up this next thing, Mike on Facebook is talking about going after them for violation of 18 USC section 241 and 242. Uh, conspiracy against rights and deprivation of rights under color of law. Keep in mind, though, Mike, and all of you out there, anybody who knows a little bit about law, but maybe not quite enough, uh, the 241 conspiracy against rights, that applies to all of these things that we've been talking about. In my particular case, and all the cases that we've seen with government uh, tyrannical requirements and mandates, uh, that is definitely a situation where those officials can be on the hook under 18 U.S.C. Section 241. However, 18 U.S.C. Section 242 is based on things like racial discrimination. And that little portion of the statute is, is I think it's sandwiched like right in between the wording and it's easy to kind of gloss over, but that does not apply here. And it does not apply in a vast majority of these kinds of cases. Really, they shouldn't be back to back with each other. Okay, but anyway, um, I'm going to share with you the current um, website as it is. Keep in mind, the new one is so much better, but I'm not quite ready yet to release it. So anyway, and something's messed up at the top. So now our images and everything else are gone. But anyway, if you go to resources, which is super hard to see right now because of the gray background with white lettering, um, which wasn't supposed to be that way. But anyway, if you go, there's home updates, who we are, resources, shop, donate, and contact us. If you go to resources, the very first tab, you can either click on resources that way or um, go to um, documents directly. But um, going to all, clicking all resources just brings you to the same page. So if you go to documents, um, again, super hard to see because of how some modifications and plugins stopped working on our website. But what used to be a blue button that would stand out and let you know, hey, it's a button, let's check it out, let's click on it, is now really hard to overlook. And so this is the very top here. There's this blue button that literally stretches all across the screen and doesn't look like a button. It says, click here for all documents in Allegan County trespass case. You'll want to click on that. And the... Um, you'll see my substantive due process appeal, which means the deputies had no authority to arrest me. And then I also had filed um, <clears throat> a procedural due process appeal that where I was appealing the illegal actions of the judges and prosecutors involved. But if you go to this appellant, Catherine's um, sub substantive or SDP appendix one, it tells you that this includes my motion to dismiss and my brief in support. Anytime you file a motion in Michigan and probably most states where they're cover, it's, it's covering an element of the law, 
you by court rule are supposed to attach a brief in support, a brief that goes through what the law is and does like an, a legal analysis about it. It sounds scary, but if you are representing yourself or maybe you're an attorney who finds yourself in a situation having to file one of these and you really don't know how to do it, you can borrow mine. Um, you can't click on this particular one individually. It's part of this appendix, but there's a PDF, um, there's bookmarks in the PDF and you can click to the motion to dismiss and you'll be able to open it and see it and shoot up if it's going to load. I have way too many things open, so I'm afraid it's not going to load because it's a big, big thing. Um, okay. So depending on how you look at a PDF viewer, I don't know if you guys saw what just happened, but mine was not showing the, um, the bookmarks. So I clicked on this um, little weird screen looking button at the top. It says toggle sidebar. So I clicked on that at the top left and then it initially opened to these four squares, which just shows all the pages. So you can more easily scroll through and click on a page. Um, and if you go to the middle version and, or if you hover it, it says show document outline. Um, that's not specific to mine. That is, um, a common, I think this might be like the Google Chrome browser, how the PDF, um, viewer works in, in Chrome browser, but a lot of others will do it the same way. So if you don't see the bookmarks or the table of contents or whatever, um, click those look for those options to find or be able to just to display your bookmarks and um, it'll do it so anyway um, my motion to dismiss um, and these little carrots or the little um, arrows uh, if they're pointing down they're fully expanded and it looks like it's a lot right if they're shrunk up and they're pointing to uh, the right uh, they're taking up a lot less space but that just lets you know there's more stuff that you could click on if you clicked on that um, so I'm just going to shrink all of the different pieces here um, of my motion. So um, the motion to dismiss, if you click on it right here, you can see defendant's motion to dismiss the complaint. And there's a whole bunch of court rules talked about right here for redacting, right here for having oral argument. Um, that be means being able to go and argue your motion in front of the judge in person. Um, the rule I talked about, MCR 2.116C, is talked about here. I actually filed this initial motion under four different, um, remember we talked about there's 10 different ways that you can file uh, a motion to dismiss under that court rule. I filed uh, this motion to dismiss based on four of them. And uh, <clears throat> at any rate, this kind of lays out what one of those motions, now keep in mind, I don't do half-assed crap. So Mine is in more detail than you'll find most other kinds of motions uh, and briefs, but I wanted to make sure I didn't leave any stone unturned that I was meticulously following all the court rules and requirements so it couldn't be thrown out on a technicality. Uh, my request, that is. Of course, the case isn't being thrown out on a technicality. But at any rate, these, um, all of these things here um, these are good examples of how to write the actual motion. And then if you scroll down, or if I just actually click on it, you'll see here you could, oops, sorry, right here, brief in support. So again, this first main one is my motion to dismiss. This next one is my brief in support of my motion to dismiss. Uh, and this is great because this one you're able to click right on. I don't know if you see these things are turning yellow when I'm hovering over them. If you want to click on any one of those sections, you not only could do that through expanding your PDF viewer here and they're in the argument part, but you could just click to, um, there is no trespass on, you know, for a person on government property open to the general public. You could click right to that and it's going to bring you right to that part of the argument, okay? So it may be overwhelming, but it's very organized and very easy for you to grab the pieces that would be most applicable to your situation. Um, there was also the prosecutor filed a response. I can tell you that although their proof of service looks somewhat legit, their response is garbage and it doesn't follow any of the court rules. In fact, 
if you look at um, my uh, reply brief, a reply brief is what comes after an answer is filed or whatever. Um, you could see my reply brief goes into um, a lot of different ways that this um, answer is um, their their response to my motion was garbage that it should have been thrown out, that they shouldn't have been able to raise any law or facts at the hearing on the issue because they screwed up. Um, so even though the court didn't want to follow any of these rules, in my case, don't let that stop you from raising these issues when you see them come up in your cases. Again, this is something that applies, this kind of motion applies in civil cases and in criminal cases, misdemeanors and felonies. So um, pay careful attention to, like I said, 2.116 C is uh, the letter C, the part of it that C um, gives you those 10 different reasons of how you can uh, challenge or file a request to throw out a case. And like I said, this is an example of what um, the motion looks like, what a brief in support of that motion looks like. Um, you could see the um, affidavits, which are oftentimes, sometimes, depending on which kind you file, um, affidavits will be included or required. You could see what a, an affidavit looks like and, uh, you know, the format and, you know, are they required to sign it? Is it required to be notarized? All that kind of stuff. That is available right there. Um, as an example, don't look at the prosecutor's response if you're if you have a case where it's your case, it's your claim, and somebody files a motion to dismiss your case. Don't look at the prosecutor's response in this case as a good way to write your own response. Uh -uh. Um, but uh, my reply brief gives you a way to be able to say something, essentially have the final say, and tell the court, "Hey, you have to disregard what they said here because that's not what the law says, or that's not what the." court rules say. All right. So um, that kind of addresses what they look like. Um, we did, oh, we skipped over. We talked about what some of the reasons are. Um, one of the other reasons I wanted to point out, which is 2.116 C10. It's a lot of words, but once I say it and describe it, it's going to make total sense. Okay. So a 2.116 C10 says that, um, you're, you're asking the court to dismiss the case because there's no genuine issue of material fact. And you, as the person making the request, you are entitled to judgment by the court as a matter of law. What the heck does that mean? That means the most important facts, the facts that really uh, would have an impact on whether, you know, the case went your way or not. And again, this works in civil or criminal cases, but um, you have, you know, the, the facts that have been asserted. There's nobody really disputing the main important facts. But what you are disputing is the law or how, um, how the law applies in your case. Those are questions of law that a judge has to decide, not a jury. So that's why you would file one of these motions, a 2.116 C10 motion saying, listen, we don't dispute any of the important facts. All we dispute is the law. So the judge has to be the one to decide this. Now, if it's a criminal case, the judge in my case said, well, obviously this court rule can't apply because, you know, what if it's the prosecutor who filed this motion and said, well, we don't dispute the facts. So um, such as here, the prosecutor and I, you know, the, the deputies, the clerk and I, we don't dispute the facts. We agree on what the facts are. So what if the prosecutor filed this motion saying, we agree on what the facts are. So the law says I win that, you know, as a prosecutor, that um, Catherine Henry is guilty just as a matter of law. Well, that would be one of those situations where uh, it doesn't apply 
to a criminal case that direction, right? So in there's times where a court rule applies um, in civil cases, but not in criminal. And there's times, for example, um, you have to follow, if you're filing any motions in court, in a criminal case or civil case, you have to follow the rules of motion practice, which are in 2.119. Well, there's part of that rule is talking about paying a fee, paying a motion filing fee. Well, if you're in a criminal case, you don't have to pay a motion filing fee. That doesn't mean the whole court rule doesn't apply to you, right? Similarly, in this situation, um, that part of a court rule would, um, it's not, it doesn't mean the whole court rule doesn't apply in criminal cases. In fact, this court rule in the explanations, it says that, okay, we, we dispute the facts, but as a matter of law, I'm entitled to judgment. We all know darn well that in a criminal case, it's the prosecutor who bears the burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that you as the defendant committed the offense, that you committed each and every element of the offense. They have to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. No matter what motions are filed, that still remains. No court rule can modify that. So this court rule can't be twisted and used and applied for a, a, a prosecutor to say, oh, this criminal defendant is guilty as a matter of law, so they don't even get to have a trial. No, but it can be used the other way around. If it's so obvious that you guys don't dispute the facts and all you're disputing is the law, think about it. It's not the jury's job to decide the law. It's the jury's job to decide the facts. But if you guys agree on the facts, then it's up to the court to dismiss the case if you as the defendant are entitled to judgment as a matter of law. Okay. So, um, I actually covered all the main points I wanted to talk about. I'm going to, uh, jump over here real quick to see if we have any questions. Oh, let's see. Okay. We don't. That's great. So um, I'm going to utilize this opportunity to jump off now from this segment because I have to prepare for the other segments this week. Uh, I did get stuck writing several uh, motions and briefs today that uh, and yesterday and Sunday and Saturday, literally all day. And I didn't have a chance to get our true or false question of the week posted this morning. But as soon as we uh, log off of this live video today, I will be uh, going in and putting those on all the social media platforms. And then we will be posting the true or false answer at 10 o'clock tonight, as we usually do. Of course, uh, we'll have our Wednesday way to get involved challenge and our Thursday constitution, court rule, statutory uh, uh, section recap and our Friday's freedom fighting tools. Uh, we'll have Rachel's awesome video of the week highlighting our Restore Freedom goodie that you could uh, purchase or um, uh, put money towards to support us. And of course, we'll end the week on Sunday with the biblical insight regarding this topic. Um, thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate your support and uh, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletter if you're not already receiving it because you will have access to a lot of the, um, um, the PowerPoint or the slides that I do uh, in, um, in preparation for these videos. And so instead of having to press pause and whatnot in the video, just to be able to take some notes down from a particular slide, you would be able to um, access the slide directly and, you know, grab whatever information in a little bit easier format. Uh, one of the incentives of signing up for the Restore Freedom Weekly Newsletter. So at any rate, um, again, thank you for your support. I'm, uh, I'm constitutional attorney, Catherine Henry, and I look forward to seeing you later on in our other segments this week. Have a great day, guys.